If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Thank you for being here this morning. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It's good to see everybody, and I'm glad that you have braved the weather and made it out uh, to church this morning. Our, I love coming to church. Amen? Man, I love being in God's house and being in front of God's Word and to worship Him, and glad that you're here with us. Thank you for those of you that are joining us online. Uh, I, I try to forget looking at the camera so I don't get really nervous, but right now I'm looking at the camera and telling those of you that are joining us online, thank you for being here. Our focal verse is found in John chapter 11, verse 41, uh, but this passage is so lengthy that we're going to stretch it over uh, two weeks' time. I've learned that through the counsel of my wife over the years. Hey, you don't have to pack it all in on one Sunday. Let's stretch it across two. Amen. So we're going to do that this week, uh, and next week we're going to stretch John chapter 11 throughout the next two weeks as we continue to uh, cover this series called The Gratitude of God, When Jesus Prayed Thank You. And our focal verse is found there in verse 41 when Jesus said, Father, thank you for hearing me. And we'll discuss that verse and that prayer of gratitude next week. So with that, I want to welcome you to John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus, and the preaching portion of worship where we will today discuss Death, grief, sadness, and suffering. Everybody encouraged? Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, we could preach on giving. People get offended by that when they visit for the first time. But we're going we're gonna to preach on suffering and sadness and death. But uh, the, these are the things that are, are a part of the human condition, are they not? And truly, when you read the Bible and you search about suffering, sadness, death, and grief, you're going to come away with good news instead of bad news. Amen? And so that's where we'll be today in John chapter 11. Lazarus, who is a dear friend of Jesus, was sick. And Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, sent for Jesus, who had a close relationship with all of them. He, he loved them. And in John chapter 11, verse 4, the scripture says, But when Jesus heard about it, when he heard about the sickness of Lazarus, Jesus said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory through this. So rather than Jesus rushing to the side of friendships and to those that he loved, Jesus decided to stay where he was for the next two days. And verse 5 says that even though Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he delayed in returning to help. Why? Why did Jesus delay? Here's why. Because Jesus knew what they did not know. Now, when you read the scripture, one of the two questions we ask is, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about man? Amen. Those are the places to start. What does this teach us about God? Take this note this morning. God knows the end from the beginning. Are you hearing me? So whatever you are going through today and whatever you are praying through, whatever you are concerned about, God knows the end from the beginning. He already knows what will be as he is the Alpha and the Omega, as he is God. Once I witnessed a college football comeback, one of the greatest college football victories of all time as far as comebacks are concerned. I was in the stadium for it. And for about three quarters, now, now listen, I speak in generalities, and some of y'all are already going, well, we know which one that was. <laughs> and so the other half of you are thinking, which one is it? I'm trying to be sensitive to the needs of all conversations and all, I'm sensitive to the needs of all people this morning as it is Iron Bowl week. It may or may not have been the Iron Bowl. 
get focused spiritually, all right? But I was there. I was there for a, a great college football comeback victory of all time. For about three quarters, it was one-sided, and it was cold and miserable for one fan base. But in the end, it went from miserable to favorable as the team that was behind went ahead with just a few minutes to spare. Now, years later, years later, before football starts and when this game comes on TV, as they show them, as one of the all-time great comeback games, anybody that is watching that game with me, let's just say, for example, for instance, if they are watching this game with me and for the first quarter, for the first two quarters, they begin to say, turn the channel. This cannot possibly be one of the great games of all time. If this is their desire, why are we watching this? Why would we do that? I don't grant the wish to turn the TV because I know the end from the beginning. You hear me? I know what's going to happen before we get there. So the feelings that you feel for the first three quarters are going to change once the end is in front of you. Listen to me. This is why God does not rush to every desire of ours. This is why God does not just abandon everything that he's working on on purpose to come straight to us and give us everything that we ask for. He knows what can be endured and how it will all work for his glory. Had Jesus returned sooner, he may have healed his friend, but there was a bigger purpose ahead. So if you find yourself as a Christian in position of waiting, and if you believe God, if you believe God is all-knowing, if you believe God that he knows the end from the beginning, if you believe that God's glory works for your good, then what is in front of you today is an opportunity to trust God, is a choice to trust God. Now, we just sang it, do you believe it? Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus, right? We just sang that. We read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he would direct your path. Just trust God. Just trust God. When you are in a season of worry and waiting, it is an opportunity to trust God. And let me help you with that as I have to remind myself. If you can trust God to save you from a devil's hell, you can trust him with everything else. If you can trust God to take care of your sin that separates you from God for eternity forever, then you can trust him for whatever you are waiting on because God knows the end from the beginning and he's made plans for all of us who would believe to miss hell and make heaven. John chapter 11, verses 11 through 15, the scripture says, then he said, our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. And the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, then he's going to get better. He'll soon get better. He'll get better anyway. And they thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. He said, come, let's go see him. Do you see the purpose in Jesus's delay? For your sakes, I'm glad God was glad he wasn't there. So for now, when you see what's about to happen that I can do with all of my power, you will believe. Keep in mind, 
Jesus did not say that he would not die. He said in verse four that his sickness would not end in death. Jesus said he's sleeping. His sickness will not end in death. And then again, but Jesus describes death in this way in verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'll go wake him up. So here's the question. When the scripture says that he died in verse 13, why did Jesus say that he had fallen asleep in verse 11? Let's all talk about death. Amen. Did you know that the scripture says in Ecclesiastes that a wise person thinks a lot about death? That he doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't dwell on death but he thinks a lot about death. Did you know the scripture says that it's, a good, it's, it's more wise to spend your time at funerals than at parties because it's sobering. How many of you have ever went to a funeral and left a funeral talking about things that don't matter or thinking about things that don't matter while you are there? When you are front and center with death, you begin to think about what? You begin to think about life. This is why the scripture says it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. It says the wise will take this to heart. And so as we talk about death, when we hear that someone has died, and when we think of death, we know it as an earthly expiration, a physical death and the end of an earthly relationship. That's what we think of when we use the words death. This is the kind of death that we see here in the scripture with Lazarus earthly expiration, that God has power even over that, and the kind that we will experience ourselves unless Jesus comes back. This morning, I had a, a conversation with someone. Uh, as of Probably the last year, I began to drink monsters. I'm self-reporting, self-confession. And many of you have told me that I'm going to die because of that. But, and some of you right now are like, hey man, I done told you. <laughs> well, then the other half of you tell me I'm going to die because I drink sun drop. And then there's people that are like, there's too much calcium in that water. You don't want to drink the water from the faucet around here now. Well, then which is it? <laughs> We're all going to die something. You see, that, that when I hear those things, I take it into account. I hear what you're saying. And that does not mean that we need to be careless with our body. Something's going to get us unless Jesus comes back. A wise person thinks a lot about death. When we think about death, we think about that earthly expiration. We give it a lot of thought. But earthly expiration, listen to me, is not the end of existence. Earthly expiration is not the end of existence because we are made up of more than just a physical body. You yourself know this within yourself. While we have a material life that you see and feel, we also have an immaterial life, a spirit that is cognizant to ourselves and a soul that is conscious to God. The soul life that we have is the part of us that contemplates God and eternity. That's the reason why we even question the existence of God. The reason why when we're in a foxhole that we hope for God, when we are in a bad situation, we call on God because what has been put inside of us is from God. We have a soul life that is accountable to God. The physical life is accountable to God. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. Now listen to the importance and the, the sobering reality of these truths. Jesus said, 
what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And then the question, is anything worth more than your soul? Will y'all please hear this scripture with me today? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The answer to that question is no. No, there is nothing worth more than your soul because the soul lives forever. The soul lives either with God or apart from God. And to be apart from God forever is the biblical definition of death. That's what the scripture overall means when it speaks of death. It's speaking not of the end of physical existence. It's speaking of an eternal separation from God. And y'all, that's the worst thing I can think of. That is the worst thing our minds can imagine. There's nothing in this life that is worth than being, that worse than being separate from God for all eternity. Not being able to call on God anymore. There's a separation. Death is not the end of existence. It's the soul's separation from God for eternity. You see, the scripture says that right now what we are doing is wise because at this moment, we are thinking a lot about death. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, if you thought that that was sobering, listen to this one. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. And then Jesus said, fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The reason we preach on hell in here is because it's in here. The reason that we will teach that there is a separation from God in a place called hell is because Jesus said it. This is a sobering verse. And when we hear this, if we are remaining in our sin, it is bad news because we're hoping for good news. And I'm about to get to that. But what is sobering is that God says that there can be a separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. But when you read the scripture that says, fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell, God Almighty, this means God Almighty is the one that we are ultimately accountable to for it all. For the way that we think, for the way that we live, for the way that we die. For our acceptance or rejection of God, we are accountable to God for it all. You can make up in your mind whatever you want to about what happens, but God's word is telling you what happens at the end of physical life. We are accountable to God for all of it. The things that we would do with our body, the things that we do with our mind, the things that we think and feel in our heart, how we honor him or not, how we revere him or not. And while God has the power, the scripture says, to destroy both body and soul in hell, and because we're sinners, that's what we deserve, it is God's desire that you should not be separate from God, but that you should make heaven. It is God's desire that none should come to perish, but all should come to repentance, which is to turn from us and to turn to God by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, by God's grace. And through our repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, he has made a way while he could send us to a devil's hell, he has made a way for us to experience God's heaven 
to experience eternal life rather than eternal destruction in hell. Y'all, there is no better news than what I just told you. Don't forget it when you sing. Don't you forget it when you come in here. If you have salvation, right standing with God, you've got it. And if you don't, you need to get it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 57, I'm going to read you the scripture today because it says, for sin is the sting that results in death. Now listen to me. Everybody in here has got that. Everybody in here, whether you are good morally or if you're a son of a gun, pastor to the prisoner, we've all got sin. You hear me? And the scripture says that for the wages of sin, what we earn because of sin, big or little, is separation from God. It is death. And the Bible here again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin, listen to this part, and death. He gives us victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does God give us victory over death? All the other religions can talk to you about the afterlife. Jesus is only the one that's overcome it by his power. We celebrate on Easter the resurrection of Jesus. We can go on and celebrate it today, too, because when Jesus died and all the power of God, he got up from that grave to give me and you hope of eternal life. So I'm going to listen to the one who has power over death for my living and my dying. How about you? You see, God gives us victory over death. He allows us to share in his glory through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. As we talk about death, we are a physical life. We are a a material life, but we are also an immaterial life. And when the physical life is over, the immaterial life will continue on. Listen to this, either with God or apart from God. And for those who live and believe in Jesus, one day, according to the scripture, we will be reunited with our bodies and it will feel so good, but we will be reunited in a glorified state that will be fit for eternity. Now, this is a quick study on death, but what must be taken away is that you need a real and right relationship with God that comes by faith in Jesus Christ, turning from sin, turning to God by faith in Jesus, and that will get you out of death. Christian, if you have this right relationship with God, man, will you hear this good news? While there will be an end to your earthly existence, there will be no separation from God. I can't think of anything better to tell you. Sometimes I think when I stand up here, I preach the same thing over and over. I used to watch Billy Graham crusades when I was little, and I think to myself, like, he just preaches the same thing. And it's, it's so simple, and yet people continue to just flock to him. Not to him, but they'd come down the aisles, and they would get to the altar, and they're crying out to God. I'm like, he didn't even preach a topical message. He just preached the gospel. The good news that God saves. Listen, the reason why he did that and the reason why this comes up every Sunday is because that's what God is working on in your life and in my life. And if he's reached us, he's going to use us to reach somebody else with it. This is the program of God. Just like Lazarus, if you are in Christ, whatever takes us out will not end in death if we are in Christ. Now, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus told Martha when speaking of why Lazarus would experience life after death. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone, now listen, Christian, know if your salvation is tried and true. Because Jesus said, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. You cannot believe in Jesus and things don't change. Come on. You cannot say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and go on holding on to your life and live with sin unrestrained. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this, Martha? Don't miss that question. Do you believe this? Everybody just bow your head and close your eyes right now, if you would, just indulge me. From 8 to 80 across the building, we're giving an invitation right now. If there's never been a time in your life where you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, if right now is the time where you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need God to save you, and that you realize that Jesus is the answer. Why don't you confess to God the best way that you know how that you're a sinner and you need his grace and you want to go the direction that he's going to take you? Turn from yourself in prayer right now. Turn to God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. Call on him to take you over. Call on him to forgive you the best way you know how right now. If you've never prayed that prayer, In this moment of silence, go on and lift it up to the Lord. Lord, in this holy moment, God, I pray that you would give whoever, if there be one or there be a hundred and one that have called on you today, would you give them the confidence, God, to stand and go to someone at the end of this service whether it be at the altar or in the hallways, and let someone know that they've been saved, a public profession, God, so that they may be acknowledged by you before others, and God, they may learn to take the next steps. Oh, Lord, that you would give them great confidence to to stand and ask questions about what they believe and ask questions about what's next. Father, we thank you, O God, for where you have made a way for us to be saved, to deliver us from death. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, following his talk with Martha, and before I even get to that, I'm going to ask you to have the boldness and the confidence today that if you've called on God to save you for the first time, you don't have to tell me today, but tell somebody. Tell somebody that you trust who is a follower of Jesus that can help you take the next steps of baptism, to talk about church, to talk about being discipled. Let's talk about those things if you've called on God for the first time. And following his talk with Martha, Jesus went on to to talk to his sister, her sister Mary. And she was distraught with grief over the death of her brother, right? I mean, that's that's how we all will be and how we all are. And she said, Lord, if you you had been there, then my, my brother would not have died. Other people grieving the loss of Lazarus were with her. And the scripture says in verse 33 that a deep anger welled up within Jesus. So, Martha and Mary are grieving. There's a whole host of family and friends that are grieving. They're all grieving together. Mary says, Lord, if you'd been here, then he wouldn't have died. And Jesus taking in all of this, experiences emotions. And the one that the first emotion that he faces is it makes him frustrated. He is angry. And then a couple of verses later, we're told in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus being fully God and fully man, being fully man without giving up his divinity, he experienced the emotion of us all. Frustration and anger. 
and sadness and weeping. It frustrated the Lord. Why? Because he saw firsthand, though he knew it, he saw it, how people are hurt by sin. How sin hurts people so much and that death has such a horrible power. And these emotions, now listen to me, these emotions of Jesus are reminders that when we pray while we are talking to a holy God who is distinct and above creation, our God is not distant from your emotion. Jesus has felt what you feel. He himself has been persecuted. He was, he was taken to the cross. His, those that were closest turned their backs on him. Those that were closest had died. He experienced the emotions of frustration and weeping and sadness. And the scripture says that Jesus in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, understands our weaknesses. Scripture calls God in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Listen, the wonderful counselor. No one understands you more than the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. No one understands you more than God. So trust the truth when you pray and you seek his counsel. Now, when looking at this for the week, I read the following question from a commentary associated with this passage that asked this, if Jesus understands our weaknesses and he is not distant from our emotion and Jesus is God, then why doesn't he just fix it all? Has anybody ever felt that before? Why doesn't he just fix all of it? Why doesn't he just answer our every prayer? Why doesn't he meet the needs that we believe are the most urgent needs? Why doesn't he just do all of that? He raised Lazarus. Why doesn't he just do all of that for us? Why doesn't he heal us from every ailment? We've seen him do that in the scripture. Well, what you have to understand is this. While God directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of our lives, that's found in Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. He delights in every detail. He directs the steps. God's purpose is not wealth, health, and happiness. That's sobering, I know. It's, it's a word that I don't get to just stand up here and be like, right, guys? It, his purpose is not wealth, health, and happiness. That's not what God is working on. There, a few days pass. We see where Jesus raises Lazarus for the glory of God and so that those we're looking on would believe but days of death and sadness and weeping and frustration had passed and Jesus allowed it. Why? Because God, while he is working for his glory and his glory ultimately works for our good, God's primary purpose is not about this day. It's about the last day. It's not about this day. It's not about what's in front of us. It's about what's ahead of us. When our children were in car seats, we would set them up to ride for a while. We would strap them in. We would give them blankets, goldfish, whatever, right? We wanted them to stay safe and, and well as we were making our way from one place to another. And they would call on us to fix it if a single goldfish dropped from their mouth. And if the blanket fell or if the stuffed animal fell or whatever it was as they were strapped in and could not get it themselves... They would call on us and call out to us, juice, fish, whatever it was. Because this was the only thing that mattered in their life at that moment. But for us, what mattered most was the destination while meeting their needs. Do you hear me? 
We could not stop the truck every time they dropped a cracker or every time they cried. We attended to what was really a need. We would help meet their needs. It's not like we'd be like, tough it out and keep driving. (laughs) We would reach back at times and, and we would give them and we would help them and we would roll our eyes. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. We would get frustrated. We attended to what was really a need, and we continued to drive. We, we did this knowing what? Knowing that they would be okay. Knowing that, and once they would be okay, they would be fine where they are, because we know the end from the beginning, and knowing that once we got to our destination, we would make it all all right. Please see that connection. Until that time, though, until that time between the truck and the destination, We listened, we counseled, we attended to needs, and they were with us and safe the entire time. But we knew they could make it to the spot that we were headed, and all ills would be cured as long as they were with us. In other words, our primary purpose was not only desired, but the destination Listen to me with John chapter 6, verses 39 through 40. Jesus said, and this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. This is the will of God. Not this day, but the last day. For it is my Father's will, in verse 40, My Father's will, the will of God again, that all of those who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I'll raise them up again at the last day. You see, we may hurt and grieve over sickness and suffering and death, but believe this, Jesus will never fail to secure your eternal life. Jesus will never fail to secure the eternal life of those who trust in him, and this continues to be the big picture purpose as God brings glory to himself and glory that works for our good. Yes, Jesus raised Lazarus and answered their request. And listen to me, you ought to pray because he may just answer yours too. Y'all didn't hear that. We've been through suffering in our family too. There's been times in my life when when I looked at prayer and thought, I've told you this before, I've looked at prayer and I thought, God, you're going to do whatever you're going to do anyway. Why should I talk to you? And as I worked that out and stopped telling God what I was going to do, fear and trembling, and I sought him in his word, knowing that he is sovereign and has an overall purpose of drawing people to himself, I also referred to those scriptures like Psalm 37, 23, that told me that he directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their life. So yes, you ought to take those healing requests to the Lord. Who else would you take them to? Yes, you need to take your worries and your doubts and your fears to God. Yes, and because God hears and he answers and he answers according to his will. And God may do the same for you as he has done for Mary and Martha and those friends. But God was working on his glory and that he was revealing himself as God before the people so that they would believe. What did he say to the disciples, it's better that I didn't because now you're really going to see the power of God. And then in verse 45, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Verse 43, 
you always hear me when I pray, but I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they would believe you sent me. God knows what he's doing, y'all. Mary and Martha and those with him wanted Jesus to end their earthly pain, but Jesus was working on the ending and the ending of eternal separation for all those who were looking on. This day will have trouble, make no mistake, but the last day is when eternal life is realized for those who believe, live and believe in Jesus, and the sorrow and trouble of our hearts will forever go away. Recently, I saw a video where a man had caught a fish. He was in the boat, and the boat was moving in a large body of water, and he had the fish in his left hand and his phone in his right hand. Some of you may have seen this, and it's terrible, but it's hilarious at the same time. The fish is in his left hand, the phone is in his right hand, and somebody in another boat is looking on, and they are videoing what's going on. He was enamored so much with this fish, and he just kept holding it up, and he continued to look at it, and then he lost his bearings as he was about to throw the fish back into the water. The video showed him holding his fish in one hand and the phone in the other, and with an absent mind, he tossed his phone into the water instead of the fish. <laughs> Hilarious. Now, again, this guy, he's going to come out of his pocket and buy another phone, but you can picture it with me, holding the fish in the phone, he's going, <laughs> and just tosses it. <laughs> what happened? He was so focused on what was in front of him that he lost focus on what was important to him. Write it down now. He was so focused on what was in front of him, he lost focus on what was important to him. This day is important, but the last day is what God is working on in the world. As parents, my wife and I think about the inheritance of our children. We really do. Even with young kids, that's something that's on our mind. It's something that's on the inside of us. Is something that's very real because they belong to us. We want them to have a meaningful and fulfilling life now so we meet their needs. But what is really going on in our heart is to prepare them for their future. And the scripture teaches us this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live, listen to me, with great expectation of what's ahead. We have, the Bible says, a priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. It's pure and it's undefiled and it's beyond the reach of change or decay. And one day we're going to get all that God has been working on this entire time. And verse six of first Peter chapter one says this. So be truly glad the wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Amen. God knows the end from the beginning. There is an end to earthly existence, but for the believer, there will be no death. And his prayer, his primary purpose, is the last day. So don't lose focus on God's glory because of what is in front of you. you now, all these voices today, if I may say this in closing, all of the voices that are loud to your culture, the teenagers, the college kids, the adults, there's different voices, but it's all these voices, and they're all telling us how to live, aren't they? All these voices saying what's okay 
and what you should do and what you should counsel and what you should champion. All these voices talking about how we should do it. But God's word is going to counsel you for how to live and how to die. Have you noticed that? None of these celebrities telling anybody how they should die. None of these talking heads, none of these politicians telling anybody how they should die. But God's word is working on the last day when everybody else is just talking about this day. Amen? You trust God with your salvation, you trust him with everything else. Let's stand to our feet. If God is working on your heart this morning, if you need to be saved, why don't you be bold and walk this aisle, come right and stand in front of me and tell me five words. I need to be saved. That's all you have to do. I need to be saved. If you prayed the prayer of salvation this morning, if you called on God to be saved, why don't you tell somebody today? Why don't you tell somebody that you trust that can get you to the truth to help you take your next steps? Do you need to be baptized? Let us help you with that. Do you need to join the church? Do you want to talk about that? Let us help you with that. Whatever is the need, whatever is the response, don't leave here thinking I'll get to it next time. You never know what a day will bring. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, for this time. We thank you for telling us the truth of our existence. We thank you, Lord, for telling us the truth about our eternity. God, we're grateful. Lord, we preach, we lead with passion because we desire to see people saved. God, we thank you, Lord, for working in our heart and life. Lord, as people are contemplating now about what to do with this, God, may they be encouraged to come and pray at the altar for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Lord, to bring their needs or to bring the needs of someone else. God, I pray for the strength and the encouragement, Lord, in those that know that they need to step out, know that they need to walk down, God, that they would trust in you and stop thinking about everybody else. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, oh God, for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the promises of eternal life that you always keep. We are grateful, Lord. We praise and we worship and we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. We have people here to talk with you, to receive you.